Hi, this is a message from Future Polly. I just wanted to make a little intro for the early episodes in case you're listening to them for the first time and you're listening to them in the order they came out in. These early episodes have a much lower audio quality than the ones that are currently being put out. The ones that are currently being put out have the audio quality that you're listening to now, just to give you a reference for that. Also, after COVID, we no longer record together as a group anymore. Um, So the episodes are formatted differently. It's become me reviewing books, um, but this happens organically over time. So if you listen to them in order, you'll see how we got there. These early episodes were so much fun and they were such a beautiful friendship project that I didn't want to get rid of them. I encourage you to listen to these, but maybe give um, a little listen to one of the newer episodes so that you know where this is going and the quality that you're going to get in the future. So that being said, I hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Cauldron Cakes and Wine. My name is Polly. And I'm G. This is a podcast where we discuss all things Harry Potter. We reread the series and discuss our changing relationship to it. As well as critically analyze it and sometimes generally just geek out. This week we'll be, we will be discussing Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone chapters 1 to 5. Be warned, there will be spoilers ahead. Proceed with caution. So we're going to start off with a quick recap of the first five chapters. We start by meeting the Dursleys, who are pretty horrible. Professor McGonagall in cat form is monitoring the Dursleys and eventually is met by Professor Dumbledore. Hagrid brings baby Harry there, and they all leave him on the Dursleys' porch. Then we skip forward ten years. The Dursleys are still horrible and pretty abusive to Harry. They make him sleep in a cupboard under the stairs, but when the Dursleys can't find a babysitter, Harry gets to go to the zoo for Dudley's birthday. He speaks to his snake and then makes the glass disappear, releasing that snake. Harry is punished for this event. Then one day, a letter comes for Harry, addressed from Hogwarts. Uncle Vernon won't give him the letter, but more and more start showing up. Vernon is determined to not let Harry get the letter. He goes a bit overboard and takes them to a hut in the middle of the lake because he believes an old wives' tale that witches can't cross water. This proves to be untrue as Hagrid, a friendly giant man, shows up with a pink umbrella and gives Harry his Hogwarts acceptance letter and tells him he's a wizard. Hagrid also informs him that he is famous because a dark wizard named Voldemort killed his parents and attempted to kill him. Voldemort couldn't kill baby Harry, and it was himself killed in the process. He tells Harry that Voldemort gave him the lightning bolt scar on his forehead. Then Hagrid takes Harry and they go to Diagon Alley where he gets his school supplies and his wand, which Ollivander tells him shares a core with Voldemort. Hagrid then gives him an owl named Hedwig. Our first segment is called The Pensieve. This is where we will look back at our memories of the Harry Potter series. These stories are from our childhood or young adulthood. Okay, so we're just going to start off by telling um, how we found Harry Potter. For me, it was basically, I was in, I think it was like grade five or six, and my teacher actually read it to us in school. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and then like me and my sister became obsessed with it and kept reading it after that. But yeah, that was so cool. Like, (laughs) I I first started reading it in grade three. All of my, my two best friends had already read it, and they just like sat and poked at me until I read it and then I read it and I loved it yeah good best friends yeah Yeah. so my dad actually after my friends were done poking at me my dad read it to me we had this shed outside that we used to camp out in and he read me the entire philosopher's stone laying on like a concrete patio which I now realize how horrible that must have been we were just laying (laughs) in a sleeping bag in this cold shed and he was reading me Harry Potter and the philosopher's stone with a legit flashlight it was amazing it was amazing That's hilarious. Um, the things you do for your kids. Yeah. <laughs> so the next thing that I was going to tell you about in this segment was basically, so I was making on Tumblr, I was making a mood board and it was a Bellatrix Lestrange one. And I wanted to find like the dark mark, but like on a woman's arm because I kept everything that was coming up was like all men's arms. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I Googled female dark mark oh no i'm gonna pull up the picture and we'll post this picture somewhere so you guys can see it Um, (laughs) one second i'm pulling it up it's fucking weird i think it's a meme like a really old meme but i here it is Uh. okay (laughs) 
So obviously, yep. so obviously you guys can't see this, but it's a woman. Um, and then there are like anime hands edited over top of it. And it's like a pregnancy stick that's positive and like a hand pointing at that. Um, so I don't know why this was one of the top searches for female dark mark. <laughs> but like, I don't know. What's a darker mark than being um, positive on a name. pregnancy test? <laughs> So, yeah, that's the end of that. Uh, all right. We'll post that somewhere for you guys. <laughs> Moving on. Birdie Bots Every Flavored Beans is the segment where we talk about general thoughts after reading the chapter, and you're never really sure what you're going to get. Okay, so first I just wanted to talk about, like, this really, really bothers me when I actually thought about it, but I don't really know why it bothers me. Okay. But, so... It's, like, the fact that the Dursleys are the only muggles in the entire series that we meet who are not magical in any way. And, like, they're horrible people who abuse Harry. So, it's, I don't know why, but it really, really fucking bothers me. Like, yeah. I feel like there aren't really other muggles who interact with the story at that point in time. Um... I don't think they ever do. But I don't like, think they ever the whole do. Series, like, like I don't it's think like they're literally the only ones in this whole universe that we ever meet are the they, Dursleys. Like. The, and we meet some of oh, in later books we end up meeting some of the bullies that bully Harry. That's right. They do. But any any yeah, any anyone that we interact with who is a muggle born or just a muggle, we don't we don't have positive. Yeah, like uh, we meet positive muggle borns. Like not But we don't meet any positive muggles. <laughs> Yeah, and it really bothers me because, like, the whole book series is, like, based on how it's, like, wrong to persecute anyone for being, like, a muggle in any way. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of yeah. Weird. Like, like, especially because, like, J.K. Rowling writes some really, like, seriously, like, inclusive characters, like, for, like, including muggle-borns, but then, like, we have no, there's no positive muggle representation whatsoever. I think at one point we meet the muggle prime minister. Yes. In, like, one chapter. In one chapter, Yes. Neither here nor there, whether they're a good person There's or not. Yeah, no, no. But it's like, we should include yeah. them, but also there are no positive examples whatsoever. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> um, and then, so we were kind of talking about this earlier, but I really started to view the the Dursleys a little bit differently. You can actually see that they're actually really afraid of magic. And as an adult, I kind of realized that they seem to have, like, legitimate reasons to be afraid of magic. It's... One, they've been forced to have this child, and you shouldn't force someone to take in a child who doesn't want them. And also, the main thing is, like, Petunia's sister, and I know they didn't get along very well, but, like, she's still her sister, like, dies in this very traumatic and violent way at the hands of a wizard. And it's never properly explained to her. Like, there's no sensitivity around it. It's like, here's a letter. By the way, your sister's dead. Like, <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> A little inappropriate. Like, there's definitely better ways to go around that. So, moving on, once Harry meets Hagrid, um, he kind of talks about what the Ministry of Magic does, and he basically explains that, like, the wizarding world is a secret, and the reason why, and this is like a quote, it's, blimey, Harry, everyone would be wanting magic solutions to their problems, we're best left alone. And I, I can't understand if this is just, like, Hagrid's limited understanding of history, or, like, were there witch hunters and, like, witch burnings? Is that a thing that happened in this book series? Like, Not do you know... that I remember being aware of. I, I remember, I think, there was definitely discourse with the magical creatures in the forest, in the Forbidden Forest. Mm-hmm. And I know that in later on books we get into how giants were treated differently and, like, how they were ostracized and yeah. how, like, other animals in the Forbidden Forest. Definitely there's a lot of discourse going on there and, like, they yeah. don't all get along. So I could see, like, different powers over overreacting and overarching with each other. Yeah. To some degree. I'm... I just wondered if it was, like, if there's, like, more of a history behind... I think that's something we should definitely research and... Yeah. ...looked into. Because, like, I could kind of understand why they would want to be a secret if, like, if there were burnings and, you know what I mean? Like, people were finding out about witches and wizards and were, like, trying to kill them and persecute them. They might also 
the Wizarding World might have found out that that had gone on previously. Yeah. And then been like, oh, boy, oh, no. Oh, no. The the, the muggles already yeah. persecuted people that weren't yeah. magic to for for what they would have presumed yeah. magic to be. And probably were just like... We don't want to keep uh, over us. there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Not wanting to be there yeah. at all. I mean, we'll keep an eye out for it. Because, like, I... I just wondered, because we know that, like, Hagrid has, like, a limited view of history in general. Like, yeah. But, yeah. Um, speaking of Hagrid's, like, limited view <laughs> of the world at times, not, we love Hagrid. We do. Sorry, but... Um, I love his... So, he says, there's not a single witch or wizard that went bad that wasn't in Slytherin. Okay, but what about Sirius Black? <laughs> um, but then it's like, only Slytherins are bad yeah. ever. Like, I, I is just, it is it possible that... Hagrid knew he didn't actually kill them or had a suspicion maybe because he was pretty open. He does seem pretty like in tune with certain things. Like there's a point in when he's talking to Harry about like Voldemort where he says like, I don't really think he's actually gone. I think he's some, and that's like a pretty like, that's a large statement. Like that is like foreshadowing Horcruxes. That's a very complicated form of magic that most of the wizards like don't seem to know about. Yeah. Harry, like, sorry, Hagrid is very in tune with all of Harry's life and seems to just be there and provide a lot of what he needs. Yeah. So just like, surprisingly well for yeah. like he knew that he needed an owl and he knew all of these things that like become very large factors later on so I wouldn't be surprised if Hagrid was in on that yeah <laughs> <laughs> you get the impression Dumbledore always knew oh yeah like, oh yeah what do you mean like Dumbledore knows everything nah. you can see her face right now <laughs> In Dumbledore's Blunders, we'll discuss all the things to do with Dumbledore, who is sometimes our hero, but also sometimes a little confusing or real creepy. This is, like, my, <laughs> one of my favorite segments. Um, yeah, I mean, I, felt, I feel like I was always really cheated by J.K. Rowling with this character. Um, <laughs> and now as an adult, I get to look back and, like, view it with a totally different perspective. I thought he was this, like, hero when I was a kid. Um, and I was heartbroken when he wasn't the hero that he was supposed to be. Dumbledore was like a solid adult I always believed in, and then like, the, one of the only one adults of the in only the series. Adults. Yeah, like literally one of the only adults in the series who is like not fucked up in some sort of way. But then, I mean, other than like McGonagall or maybe Molly Weasley, but like, yeah, love Molly Weasley, but she does some like a little bit questionable things at times, yeah. but. Almost. We'll talk about that at some point. <laughs> I, it's not even really, like, her parenting that makes me struggle. It's it's mostly, like, when, when she meets Fleur and, like, her treatment of Fleur as, like, a very feminine um, woman. Yeah. That really bothered me because she was, like, really horrible to her. And that's, like, really bad feminism. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. But anyway, so uh, Dumbledore... <laughs> Chapter one to five. <laughs> Let's just take a drink now. <laughs> By the way, we are not drinking wine like the no, um, we're name not. of we're our drinking podcast. Cider, um, beer. Oh, or is there a like, cider? No, it. Oh, that's why I don't like it. <laughs> but uh, cauldron cakes and beer doesn't have the same ring. No, it doesn't. So. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> but um, so in the first chapter, we see Dumbledore for the first time, and there's like. A couple things I noticed when he shows up to Privet Drive, and the main one that struck me right away is just, like, how entitled he is. He is, mm. he shows up and he's described as, like, literally not seeming like he knows he's out of place. Like, this guy is wearing fucking wizard robes <laughs> and, like, a beard down to his knees, and he's, like, flicking lights out like, on the street. Like, it was quite dark. <laughs> was quite dark. <laughs> Already, but yeah, no. One would think that if you truly like valued the situation, he might have changed into like I guess some street clothes or I don't know maybe like the fantastic. That's what I was gonna say. I was gonna say like we knew Dumbledore had mad style. Where did it go? I can assure you, he did not throw it all away. Um, Those street clothes would have been real helpful. It's a weird, very weird costume choice, but whatever. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get into the dumpster fire that is Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> Later on, or we'll do, we'll do like an, oh, like a special. A special episode oh. where we get real drunk. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the tequila one. <laughs> Sound. <Sound-meter. laughs> 
I love him so much. So for context, would you like to explain the salamander thing? Yes. Okay. I love Newt's commander more than anything. And in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them too. Newt um, falls in love with this woman and then loses her because as most socially anxious people do, they just are bad at relationships sometimes. Um, And Newt. Oh darn! What does he say to her? He um, your he, eyes are like salamanders. Yeah, so, yeah. But, but but they're very they're very awkward, and he and he misses her, and he sees her again after a long time, and he's like you're he's like you're, and he pulls a picture of her out of his pocket. Um, he's like it's and he compares it to her, which is very strange. <laughs> That's a little weird. <laughs> it's a little weird. <laughs> oh, a little weird. Um, but he goes, your eyes. Your eyes, like I, I, there, I have never seen anything like them before. They're like fire in water. They're like, they're like, and then she jumps in and she says, they're like salamanders, and um, <laughs> that's something that he loved. And I missed the beginning of the story because the beginning of that, before she he says that to her, he runs it by his best friend, who's like, I just miss her so much. Her eyes are like salamanders, and his best friend is like, hell no, don't say that to her. Like Jesus, like that's not what you say to a woman. Blah 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 blah. blah. And then when he says it to her, it's so beautiful because she finishes that sentence, and that's really the only good part of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Too. Oh, what you don't think right. Professor McGonagall's cameo before she was no, born because it was... messed the storyline. Okay. Shut up! I know. I know. Wrong. Okay. Um, sorry, we're getting very <laughs> off topic. Rain it back in. Dumbledore in chapter one. <laughs> um, so basically, um, he like laughs at McGonagall, for, and and he like questions her and is like, like, why aren't you partying or at a feast? <laughs> and this woman is the only person doing a background check on the Dursleys. No one cares who these people are for her. And like, he thinks it's funny. He's like, why are you here? She brings up that people should be more careful because like the muggles are going to find out. And he just shrugs her up and is like, meh, who cares? Like, also, like before that, like just going off of like meh, Dumbledore's meh, who cares? It's clearly stated in the book. There actually is another muggle because there's a muggle. Oh no, oh. It's, not, it's not a muggle. It's not a muggle. Oh. It's Mr. Dursley was like, there's fireworks in the sky and like there are people walking around in strange robes, like a wizarding yeah. convention. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Like, they're, and I think in that moment, like, I just. I really like empathized with McGonagall because like mm-hmm. I feel like I've been her before where I'm like in an environment where like something stupid is happening and I'm like guys like this is not okay like it's particularly like work environments work, like yes. where you're like that's not okay we can't do this and people are like Meh, it'll be fine like she'll be all right like no oh, <laughs> professionalism is important um especially when like a dark lord is dead are they really dead do we really have that much faith that they're dead and also if this person that we're protecting is so important why aren't we taking it seriously yeah and this is a child's life like in general like it should be you should take this seriously i don't know and it's like very obvious to me that there's just this huge juxtaposition in this chapter between um mcgonagall who's being so like she's logical and pragmatic and dumbledore is just like I don't fucking know. Like he's making very weird choices. I just don't get it. But somehow he just convinces McGonagall it's fine, and she's like, "Oh, okay." (laughs) After like looking back on what we know of McGonagall, I think she might have just been appeasing him at the time. Yeah, I don't like. She's she's a very like strong headed woman, so I don't I don't know though. Like everybody does have like an extreme respect for Dumbledore though. And they like do assume that like if he decides that it's if he says it's okay, then it must be it okay. must be okay. But yeah, yeah, because that always went right. <laughs> Sorry. Why does Dumbledore leave Harry on a porch? I know you googled this. I was so curious about whether people actually leave kids on porches that I googled it, and I actually found a story from October this past year in the states. Um, by the way, we're Canadian, so um, America is just a very weird foreign country to me. <laughs> <laughs> But um, basically this woman, she had her friend's two-year-old. For some reason, her friend was, like, in the hospital or something. But so she takes her friend's two-year-old and drops the two-year-old off on a porch and runs away. 
And this porch has, happens to have, like, security cameras. So they see her do it. Um, and there's footage of it. And it ends up on the internet. I mean, you know when things end up on the, the internet. internet. Yeah. People lose their minds. Um, and she is in this interview. And she's like, everything just blew out of proportion. You left a kid on the porch. <laughs> <laughs> of course it blew out of proportion. I'm like something new. <laughs> I, growing up, thought that this was very common. I thought it was very common practice to to carry a child. I don't know why, but it was. I thought it was like this and quicksand. I thought were very common things. Like, you, <laughs> it's true. Like, you know what? Like, I'm very afraid of um, sinkholes. So yes, I kind of get it. Like, yeah. I get the I get the quicksand. The quicksand, thing. like I don't. Everything I watch seemed to prepare me for quicksand, and I don't know if the kids these today growing up are experiencing quicksand. I don't think so. I, I watch really a lot of children. They're not like I watch a lot of children's shows and like Jeez. movies and stuff. It doesn't seem to be in it. No, maybe they realized it was a weird trope. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, now we're talking it, about like yeah, feelings sorry. management, and that's more important. <laughs> yeah, um, but singles and leaving babies on porches, I thought were two very common occurrences. Yeah, so this didn't surprise me. Um, as a kid, I as didn't a kid, question it. I didn't question it. Looking back on it now, under this lens, I think, wow, we really could have done some things better, Dumbledore. Yeah, like, it's literally the middle of the night, and you're a fucking wizard. Like, he could have, like, broken in. Also, I don't know. Okay, I, I found this out from listening to other Harry Potter podcasts. Okay. There's actually 24 hours between where the Potters die and they show up at Privet Drive. Uh where the fuck is baby Harry for 24 hours? And Did if they, you could wait 24 hours to bring him to Privet Drive, why couldn't you wait until the fucking morning and explain this to them and, like, have an actual conversation and not leave him on a porch? I don't understand. I think there's a lot of time between this version of Dumbledore and McGonagall compared to when we we meet them and Harry's in school. And I think... Yeah. I think looking back at how we've grown in like seven years that maybe they did yeah, too. Maybe McGonagall's a little bit more like, like headstrong. Headstrong and maybe Dumbledore has maybe a little more serious and maybe I, I don't this is not a reason to leave a child alone. Yeah. But it I think it was pretty obvious that Harry was the boy who lived, but because that's drilled into us, but maybe they didn't know that. Maybe when they saw the house blow like Maybe I don't not. know. Maybe. No, because no, no, because there's a moment in like the first chapter where, where when McGonagall and Dumbledore are talking, that like she asks him about like the situation, and he's like Harry's alive. Like, but we knew that instantly. Oh, I don't know about instantly, right? Like, yeah, like that's how right. much time? Like, okay, so it was yeah, twenty four hours between the time yeah. that they died <laughs> and that the Durs- they brought him to the Dursleys. Yeah, like, but like, where is baby? Like. <sighs> J.K. Rowling needs to answer this question. Like, where was Harry? Like, where was Harry? But, like, yeah. like Was, like, I don't know. Was he with Hagrid the whole time? Why couldn't he stay with Hagrid? I mean, I don't know, though. Like, Hagrid... He would not have been a No, but, like, looking at her options, Hagrid's I think... very good at emotional needs. I don't think he's very good at the physical needs of, like, raising someone. There was, um... Wizard, was it? It was a witch who lived across the street from Harry. Oh, she's, um... She was a squib. Um, yeah. so Mrs. Mrs. Fig, I think she lost her magical powers. Or she didn't. No, she, she was didn't. she was born to a wizarding family, but didn't have them. That would the same as like Filch. I always think that um, Lupin would have been a great dad for mm. Harry. I mean, we know like the reason why he like is dropped off at the Dursleys is because of like yeah. Lily's love protects him. He has to stay with the family, so he's protected. But like, he's literally brought up in a home with no love. Yeah. Like, why couldn't he, like, visit the Dursleys enough so that that love is, like, there? Because, like, obviously he goes to Hogwarts for most of the year and then comes there for the summer. Why couldn't he just, like, spend the summers at the Dursleys and, like, live somewhere where, with someone who actually loved him throughout his entire childhood? And then it was like, oh, you just go visit your weird aunt and uncle for, like, a bit in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's, like, the worst summer vacation ever for you, Harry, but better than living there 24 hours a day for the entire year. Howler is where we cover anything that made us angry. This could be anything from the Dursleys to more intricate things about J.K. Rowling's writing style. So I think in this chapter, one of the big things that really stood out to me that made me really angry is just J.K. Rowling's writing style for writing people physically, particularly the Dursleys. Mm -hmm. Um, Not as angry about this one, but like Aunt Petunia's neck is like super long so that she can like look over people's like fences and like spy on them. And 
it's mostly like Dudley and Vernon that make me more angry though like all like every time they're described as having food they're like eating tons of it or like holding it tightly like there's a point where like Vernon goes to get a donut on his lunch break and he's like clutching the, the donut bag like, <laughs> I remember I remember reading that as a child that's what he has to go to me and I, and I, I remember being like I don't, I don't think that's how people hold food, but, like, like I, I feel like that's, like, a very squirrely characteristic of, like, mm-hmm. an animal, like, a rodent going to retrieve nuts and just hoarding. Yeah. And that's what I, yeah. Yeah. Um, we see in Chapter 2, like, Dudley's friends are being described as having, like, rat-like faces. I understand that it's, like, a literary device. Like, you are writing these people to have physical characteristics of, like, what you want them to, people to realize that they are like. Yes. I just think it's lazy. I just think there are better ways of making people understand that these are, like, not nice people than, like, they're physically ugly and weird-looking and they're fat. And they're fat. This is is very basic, basic, like, first-tier insults. Yeah, like... It's just, yeah, at no, the end of the day, it's lazy. a lot of depth. <laughs> and it just makes me think that J.K. Rowling either hates fat people or she realizes that society hated fat people. And wanted like, to use that. So both are horrible. Oh, and, wow. like, we can do better. We can. <laughs> um, and we see this, like, car- like, this writing style again with McGonagall. Mm. Um, she's described as being a severe-looking woman. Her hair is in a tight bun. And Dumbledore says, quote, never, that he's never seen a cat sit so stiffly. What does a severe looking woman mean? Um, I don't know. Someone who is, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like a severe looking woman. Like, I think I, when you say that to me, like, I think of like a statue, like, like a, like a gray statue of like a, like a woman, like standing with her arms crossed. I just like, think of more severe. like, I don't think of like actual facial features. No, like a, that. anyways i think of more just like the face she's making i don't know it's it's clear that they're like trying to explain that like she's just too seriously (laughs) well i don't know like like, she takes things too seriously she's a serious woman she's like of course she is. Of course she is. Of course, this is this is serious. This is serious. This is your fucking chosen one. <laughs> this is a serious thing. Also, I she. You have to like remember the Potters were her students. Like she knew them as kids, she and they like go to raised a, them. They, yeah, they go to a school that's like a boarding school. They're there for most of the year for seven yeah. years. McGonagall is a very caring, lovely, lovely human with yeah. like, many emotions, especially towards her kids that were in her house. Like these are <laughs> these are her kids. Like I think of like I'm upset when I hear that my kid bumped. Like when I when I I coach and I, like I hear that one of my kids like fell down and hurt their ankle. Imagine your kids dying. Yeah, and this is their offspring. Like, like must protect. So, G and I met working at a summer camp. And yeah, I still work at summer camp, and I think about it like I'm not a teacher, but like I've known some of these kids now for five years. I think about some of the family. One of them, my boyfriend and I, we go and meet, we like hang out with them in the city, and we yeah. eat dinner at their house. And like, if something ever happened to those kids, I would be so heartbroken. Yeah, like, no, but like, <laughs> no, like, like it's, you know, like they're just yeah. kids who I've worked with. So. You have to think this is the, the kid of one of the kids that she taught it's serious to her it should be when you work with kids it's a serious job serious. yes <laughs> very impressionable yeah. young people who you're helping mold like their mind and they're like who they're gonna be and it's a serious thing which brings us to our next point the Tursley's very very clearly neglected harry um and i think you wanted to talk about him like living in a in a oh, closet, right? We were, like, talking, we were talking earlier, yeah, about him living in a closet, but also the abuse that he experienced. And, like, we talked about, like, the Dursleys running down the stairs or, like, banging on them purposely to wake Harry up. I didn't have a, a wonderful upbringing, and I remember, like, I would sleep in the basement, and I, like, I, I chilled in the basement because that was safe. Like, I remember, like, hearing people stomping upstairs and the fear and terror that that brought into me as a child, but that still does now. And I can just, like, as a kid, I could relate to Harry on that. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, like, my big question all about Harry's abuse is just, like, why did no one notice? Like, why did the Wizarding World not come and check on this child, first of all? Like, point one. Second of all, why don't any of the adults in the Muggle world notice? He goes to the same school as as Dudley. Yes. They can see a physical difference between the two of them. They dress very differently. Dudley is physically bullying Harry at school. 
So I learned about actually about this last week at school, actually. So Child Protective Services had different laws that came into effect in 2004. So there wasn't actually really Child Protective Services that would go into schools or do much kind of care like this because it was very, until Facebook, Facebook was one of the big turning points of child protective services laws actually coming into the school because before that the schools only dealt with what was at school and they're like anything else is at home that's at home that's for home to deal with which is ridiculous but that that touches on why the not that not the muggle not the not the wizarding world but in the muggle, the muggle in the muggle world okay um yeah, even I guess if they didn't notice anything um there were no laws that really said they had to report there was no duty to report um that's interesting i yeah. Yeah, because I guess I just always thought that it was a thing you had to report. But now it, it kind of, like, in context, that makes sense why, like, so many things in schools, like, just in general weren't reported. I mean, to put it in, like, context, I guess, as well, is, like, so basically there's a boys' school in Toronto that's a private school. And, it like, these boys took another boy into the bathroom and they put... How do I say this? Like, like in a sensitive way. Do it. Like they, they raped him with like it was like a broom or something. And then there was another case where they were like pushing some kid's head into a sink, maybe. Or, anyways, so it got reported to the school, and the school did not report it to the news or to the sorry to the police. (gasps) And then it ended up a video of it ended up online, and then. They finally reported it to the police when okay. the video went so up. So that is not actually at all. The duty to report states in Canada that the second you hear about any you kind have to of report it, you yeah. have to report I know, it. Yeah, I know. Like you have to say it, you have twelve facts. That is, I'm yeah. Very that, angry that's why now. this like, was like a huge issue, right? Like, I mean, yeah. First of all, oh, first of all, so the entire thing the is whole a huge, huge issue. issue. Um, yeah. No, but. Also, like, I, we were talking about in class, I'm in child and youth care um, for school. Um, we we're talking about, like, it could be scary, but, like, the second that you hear, like, a, an adult yeah. hears about that, like, you have to you have to call right away. Um, however, my one of my professors was stay, say, stating that as a child and youth care worker, like, even when she was in schools and minor incidences of abuse would happen, well, no, it, abuse is minor but like not something yeah not to this extent not to this like, extent yeah um she would still have teachers like up until now be like i don't want to call can you call for me it's not something you want to be a part of no. but i i like a thousand times would if like any child doesn't even matter if i had a relationship with them or not mm-hmm. any child if i found that out like, <laughs> like, like right away yeah yeah, it's like, not okay like, i've had kids come to me with just bullying at school and like i've sat down with them and been like okay like let's make some sort of like plan just yeah yeah like it just it 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 blimeys me how people just wouldn't yeah (laughs) but i guess like we're very caring like empathetic people and we love working with kids so when i actually wrote this note i didn't realize a fact about this but so i i basically i wrote about how someone at hogwarts is writing these letters to hear like his hogwarts acceptance letter and they were dressed to the cupboard under the stairs. And I was like, this implies someone fucking knows he's living in a cupboard. Like, yeah. <laughs> How long have they known this for? Why did they not go and check on him? Blah, 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 blah. Then I found out, I was definitely listening to another podcast. Because um, FYI, we, I listen to like a lot of Harry Potter podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> if you have one, I'm probably listening to it. <laughs> but I... Uh, it was actually McGonagall. McGonagall's the one who's writing the Hogwarts letters, which is actually kind of funny because I fucking love this image of, like, super serious McGonagall sending, like, hundreds of letters <laughs> there. Oh, I can see it, too! Okay. Like, McGonagall will be like... Mm-hmm. It just actually shows that she has, like, actually this, like, extreme sense of humor. Like, <laughs> well, you don't get that one? Fine. I'll play. I'll play. <laughs> There's no post on Sundays. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> McGonagall doesn't sleep on Sundays. <laughs> I just, this is going back to, again, the idea of, like, largeness, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and J.K. Rowling's issue with writing people fat and stuff. Um Hagrid's largeness when he's introduced it positions him as like the other 
but Dursley's largeness positions them as bad. And you see this here when Hagrid gives Dudley a pig's tail. Yes. Um, I fucking love Hagrid's character so much. And I'm going to talk about that later. So don't worry. Like, I'm not shitting on Hagrid completely. But, like, this is, like, a really, really horrible moment. Um, Hagrid is mad at Mr. Dursley and takes it out on his son. And it's just like what we talked about before. Like, J.K. Rowling is using the weight to show that these people are, like, lazy and piggish. He says he shouldn't have lost his temper. And then he says... But it didn't work anyway, meant to turn him into a pig. But I suppose he was so much like a pig anyways, there wasn't much left to do. You can't talk about kids that way. <laughs> or anyone. Or anyone. That or is anyone. fucked up. Like, it makes me so angry. Like, I know Looking Dudley's not a great now, character. But, like, but you can't. You can't. Sorry, let me read that again. Yeah. yeah. But I suppose he was so, so much, much like a pig. pig. There wasn't much left to do. <laughs> That's not a judgment for us to make. Yeah. We're just going to leave that there on the end of things that made us angry. Yes. Our next segment is called Remember All, and this is where we will discuss major things we forgot. Hello, all my life. So I feel like in this segment for this book, it's not going to be very long because I've read the first book so many times that uh, I remember quite a bit of it. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you remember, like, most of the stuff from this book? Yeah. No, I feel like a lot of the first book is just common knowledge at this point that we're all supposed to know. Yeah. Just how we grew up. Like, I feel like we're just supposed to know. Yeah. There's not a lightning bolt scar. Yeah. Yeah. Here is a scar. And. Yeah. Yeah. So the main thing that I did, like, really remember in these chapters, kind of remember it. I was really searching for something to, like, look for in it rereading it and realizing when he was like running away from Dudley and his friends he like ends up on the roof of his school and he thinks that like a gust of wind might have swept him up there he doesn't really realize that it's magic or anything and so it's just like so much worse to me when the Dursleys punish him for that and that was something I sort of realized in this chapter is like they know what it is they know exactly what caused that they know it's magic and yeah they're punishing him for something he doesn't even know he did or how it happened. And that's fucking horrible. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if there was a, yeah. I wonder if they maybe think he knows and he's just pretending he doesn't know. But even then that's still not. Do you think Harry was like close to like, he, like if he lived with the Dursleys any longer, he would have been, a, what's it called? An obscurus, you know, from the like fantastic beast series. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Because they're, like, literally trying to squash the magic out of him. They are. They describe it that way. That's a hot take. Let us know what you guys think. Yes. What do you think? (laughs) Comment. No, don't comment below. How does this... This is it YouTube. Don't comment comment, You can comment on uh, Twitter us. Tweet us. Tweet us? Tweet us. I'm so bad at Twitter. I am so bad at Twitter. Okay. If you're on social media, you're probably talking to me. Um, Yeah. Except for now G has Instagram, the Instagram password on her... Like, they count on her phone now, so might be G. Um, But otherwise, it's me. I got all the other platforms. (laughs) Twitter... Twitter, I struggle. Okay. Um, the other thing that I just kind of realized, now that I'm doing a podcast with three of like, I guess I'm just more susceptible to realizing it. Um, <laughs> I literally convinced myself as an adult she didn't write them as, like, the useless house. So, okay. Basically, like, Harry meets, meets Draco, and he's like, dear God, I don't want to be in Hufflepuff. And Harry talking to Hagrid afterwards, and he's like, what the fuck is a Hufflepuff? <laughs> <laughs> and Hagrid says, everyone says Hufflepuff are a load of duffers. And then Harry says, I bet I'm in Hufflepuff. <laughs> that is really just setting the stage for uh, how we view them. I didn't even grow like, I don't know. I never heard a good thing about Hufflepuff. I actually didn't hear anything about Hufflepuff, so I can't really say. Did J.K. Rowling, like, backtrack on this later or something? Like, why do I have this impression that, like, all the houses are equal? (laughs) Because it's clearly not. Like, they clearly set the stage. Gryffindor? 
they're like good. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Everything else. Slytherin, you are bad. Bad, 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 bad. bad, bad. Like Hufflepuff, you are duffers. Like, I don't even what's know what the duffer? fucking duffer is. Duffer. <laughs> Google it. An incomplete or stupid person, especially an elderly one. Holy he's shit. Most, he's the most worthless old duffer. A person inexperienced at something, especially at playing golf. Just, you know, as a person who's quickly reaching old age, I, like, (laughs) I take offense. um, Joking. 30 and flirty and thriving. Do you know what that's from? That's from 30 going on 30. My favorite movie. That, 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 why can't I breathe song. It's a great song. I love that song. Next year, I will be 30 and flirty and thriving. I want to sit on the swings and eat pop Yes. (laughs) I almost called them fizzle rocks in my head, but that's from Riverdale. That is, yeah, that's, no. I want to sit on the swings with my long-lost love from grade five and eat pop rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. Is there anything else that you forgot? No love. Okay. Yeah. We kind of just, just, just hop puffs. And I, I forgot just how mean Draco was. Yeah. And really how going back to just what, how we're talking about Harry um, just like how impressionable kids are and how really like that wasn't him yeah that was, I'm gonna, that's all parenting in the next segment I'm going to talk a little bit oh, about true. Draco's language the way that he talks uh, and yeah but yeah <laughs> excellent yeah SPEW otherwise known as the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare is a segment where we talk about social issues they could be anything from issues of gender, race, class, or sexuality. So to start this segment off, I'm just going to talk about sort of how when the Dursleys and Harry are running away from the letters, uh, Dudley describes this as the worst day of his life. This is what it's described as in the books. He was hungry, he had missed five television programs he had wanted to see, and he'd never gone so long without blowing up an alien on his computer. So in like direct contrast to the pretty brutal neglect that they're experiencing. <laughs> this is the worst day of this kid's life. Yeah. <laughs> um, We're talking about being a brat and missing TV. Yeah. And it, like, does not compare close to... It's also, like, later in, in like, or before? It's earlier, yeah. When they go to the zoo, mm. um, this, like, pretty mediocre trip to the zoo is described as Harry's best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you seen the documentary Fire? Or... No. So it's on Netflix, and there's actually two documentaries about this. Hulu and Netflix put them out, like, right at the same time as each other. One's called Fire Fraud, and one's called Fire. And you should go and watch them. It's really fucking interesting. Yeah. Basically, it was this, like, luxury music festival that was supposed to be put on in the Bahamas. I heard about this this morning. My friend was telling me about this this morning. I heard about this documentary this morning. Yes. Yes. And so, basically... Um, it didn't happen for a whole bunch of reasons, which like watch the documentary watch it. because it's, watch it. it's fascinating. Like this guy scammed a lot of people and really tried to do something that was impossible in the time frame that he was given. And these like poor, poor workers worked day and night to try and make this impossible thing happen. And then they didn't get paid for yes, it. There was no compensation whatsoever. These people, like literally there's one woman in the documentary who was interviewed and she paid thousands and thousands of dollars out of her own savings to pay the workers. And so it's it's interesting because that woman's worst day in terms of all the stuff at the fire festival compared to these like young rich kids who showed up to what they thought was a music festival that was supposed to be luxury. They ate like shitty cheese sandwiches and fucking slept in like kind of gross tents. Yeah. And got drunk and then got a flight home. They were literally in the documentary like there was one point where someone said this is the worst day of my life. Um <laughs> Right? Like, yeah. it's hard to have empathy for that when, like, literally in this same documentary, there are people who had real, real struggle. This woman was basically being harassed by locals who weren't paid, and she just paid them out of her own pocket. Yeah. And, and then those locals who did all of that work to then get absolutely no compensation. Yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah. No. I mean, there's a silver lining here in the fact that I read that after the fire festival like documentaries came out they people have raised money and paid that woman back and paid some of the workers back so that's really cool but like anyways i just was comparing it i guess to like this moment in this series like definitely he literally just sits in a car like bored and hungry and is like worst day ever (laughs) so i just have one question for you are the (laughs) goblins jewish people 
Oh, we, I've answered. Yes. No. Yes. We, I, we've talked, sorry. We've talked about this before. Um, based on all of the descriptor features that we were told, I wish that I had it open right now. Um, I'm going to go with yes. I feel like there's a lot of people who have spoken about this really, really articulately and well, and I just feel like I'm not going to do it justice, but I just, I felt like we needed to highlight it because we see goblins. I forgot how horrible Draco Malfoy is. So basically, Harry and Draco are getting their robes fitted. And this is the first time Harry's meeting Draco. Mm -hmm. And Hagrid comes over and he's like banging on the glass, like happily, like pointing to something and like waving at Harry. Harry's super excited because he knows who Hagrid is. And it's something that Draco doesn't know. He's like, oh, he just, he works at Hogwarts. He's the like keeper of keys, blah, blah, blah. And then Hagrid, or Draco says, Oh, I've heard of him. He's a sort of servant, isn't he? Yes. (laughs) He goes on to say, yes, exactly. I've heard he's a sort of savage. He lives in a hut in the grounds, and every now and then he gets drunk and tries to do magic and ends up setting fire to his bed. Um, And the main thing that I took out of this is, like, calling him a savage um, is pretty fucking gross. Like... And calling him a servant. And then later he goes on to be, like, asking Harry about his parents. And he says, are they our kind? Yeah. And then he says, I don't think they should let the other sort in, do you? They have never been brought up with our ways. Some of them have never even heard of Hogwarts until they get their letter, imagine. And obviously we know that Harry didn't know about Hogwarts. (laughs) Harry Um, uh, also didn't know about Hogwarts. And... But not only that, like, this this line of um i i really don't think they should let the other sort in in. it this this whole way that he's speaking reminds me of how people speak about immigrants Mm. or refugees and like just a little bit of like personal history with my family like my grandparents were both refugees um during world war ii and then eventually immigrated to canada um so I've grown up hearing my, particularly my grandmother, my grandmother tells her story a lot, grown up hearing her story, I've grown up seeing how much it's impacted her and her siblings, the things that they went through, um, and I just, I don't have any time for people who, I just don't, I'm going to talk more about my grandparents at, some, at certain points because there are complexities to their story that make it really, really interesting and I think really um, interesting in comparison to the like fascism in it because my grandparents grew up in communities of mostly German people during World War II. And they were obviously very young, and or, but they were on that side of the war, I guess. And um, But I guess my main thing with this is, like, Draco is an 11-year-old boy. He heard this somewhere. I hear this a lot in terms of, like, when they talk about sort of Draco or, like, even, like, the kids in general, like... Like, oh, he's a product of his environment. At what point do you stop being a product of your environment? I guess is my question. Yeah, it's a big one. (laughs) It's a big one. (laughs) You're always interacting. I feel like we're always interacting with our environment. And I agree, but like, when do you become like accountable for it? Accountable. Yeah, like, I feel like you become accountable when you decide you're going to be accountable and take in your own life. In your own life, and you decide to take responsibility for it. Like, when, when you stop being passive and indifferent. Yeah. Then you stop becoming a product of your environment. Because if when things, you start being critical. When you start being critical and like when you stop just letting things and doing air quotes, like letting things happen to you. Yeah. And you start like making active decisions whether or not to participate in like, okay, bad things are happening. Am I going to let that ruin my day or are we gonna yeah. like move forward and like do what? Like yeah. carry on. We had a match chat about this last night actually um just um about like being accountable and like not being a product or just of your environment and just like taking accountability for your actions i feel like yeah but like that's hard to do as an 11 year old it's really hard because we see um you know it's it's interesting like in this series we see these young people like like Harry, Ron, and Hermione throughout the series, or even like a lot of the Weasley kids, they are very like they stand up for what they believe in, yeah. like so strongly and yeah. so loudly. And I think like as an adult, that's something I still struggle with, and it's not very realistic to me that like <laughs> you know like yeah, like, <laughs> it's really hard sometimes. There's this like societal pressure that you're like I don't want to be that person who 
like calling you out right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you're like, shitty language. I always be that person that's calling you out. Or yeah. Not. Like, oh, I'm just a buzzkill all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> but you have to be sometimes. Yeah. Like, it's, it's important. And, but I mean, it's important how you do it too. Like, you have to do it. Um, like, here, we'll talk about this at certain points, like anger and violence throughout this series are necessary and, um, they happen, and we still love the heroes, even though they they do these things at certain points. The way that you actually make change with people is through education, and that doesn't happen from an angry place. No, <laughs> like, no. I think we both experience education from an angry place, and that yeah, it's not it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good. You don't like, take anything away from it. You actually are more resentful than more resentful, and yeah, like to really get through to people. It's I find it's easier for. Maybe not the person educating, but the recipient, if you get down on their level, kind of meet them where they're them. at. Yeah. Meet them where they're at. Not get down, but like yeah. meet them where they're at um, to like procure growth. And hey, like we have like both been yeah. there before. Like I have been that drunk feminist in a bar yelling at someone. <laughs> no, you haven't. I am not we happy have about it. Not proud of it. No. But this happens sometimes. Happens. Like it's. We change lyrics. We've done that. We need to go. Yeah. Sometimes when we go out, we uh, change the lyrics to songs to be more um, politically correct. Politically correct, yeah. We're quite obnoxious about it. Yeah, we're very loud about it. Um, That's not a happy thing, though. Like, I'm not really, you know, like... No, I'm not upset about that. That's that's a win. Unless unless Blurred Lines comes on, then then we talk that song. There's no no fixing it. There's no... There's nothing you can do... No, no. Just if no. you're out there and you like the song "Blurred Lines," like, don't tweet me. <laughs> please, please read. Please read the lyrics and think about why we might not like it that much. Yeah, it's pretty gross. And then take a look at your. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And I think that's the end of this segment. Yes, it is. In our segment, Expecto Patronum, we'll talk about the moments in these chapters that made us the happiest. Happy things. Things that make us happy. So my very first one um, goes to my girl McGonagall. (laughs) And it's just that she cares so much that she literally sits in front of the Dursley's house all day long. And then I guess the next one is like this moment that Harry has with the snake in Mm. the zoo. Um. Because he just has this moment of, like, solidarity with another living thing. And that so rarely happens for him. And it's kind of sad, but also endearing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel that one. I feel that one. I agree with you. Hardcore. And, like, animals are awesome. Yeah. And I think I just thought of this now. Okay. Okay. It's also really interesting that it's a snake because of the snake imagery throughout the books. Yeah. Right? Something that I like about the snake thing, too, is that it's not only Harry finding solidarity with the snake, it's the snake also being like, you can hear me? Yeah. Like, what? And it's kind of like, I like that that's the introduction that we get between the the snake, the parcel, with the parcel tongue. Yeah. Like, that, I think that's a really happy way to, for that to come about, for Harry to find solidarity in a positive, like, helpful environment. Yeah. Through that. So it's not as scary when he hears it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, we will talk about the parcel tongue thing. And, um, I think it is still scary for him, obviously. Um, yeah. but we'll talk about mental health in the wizarding world when we get there. Oh. Cause like <laughs> people are basically just like, yo bud, like you're hearing shit and that's not normal. Well, okay. Bye. <laughs> Come back. Like, sit down. <laughs> But at least, like, yeah, at least he's had this moment before where it's like, no, I've heard this before. Like, I, yeah. yeah. And then my next one is, um, <laughs> and this is, like, literally my favorite thing. It's, like, the moment when, like, all the Hogwarts letters spill into the house. Um, and I know, like, in the books, it's not as many letters as in the movie, but the movies have, like, overrun my memory. Like, it's, like, literally that image of Harry, like, from, like, the, it's, like, a shot from above. Yeah. He's, like, jumping trying to catch the letter. Like, it's just so absurd. And it gives me so much joy. <laughs> 
especially now that I know it was McGonagall. Like, yeah, now, now that we've talked about that, like, now seeing that, I, I see McGonagall's, like, smug face just being like, doop, 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 yeah. with her little, with her, with her pen. Just going at it with her quill. Oh, yeah. There's no post on Sunday. No. Oh. Yeah, okay. Oh, wake up, bro. <laughs> um, and then my next one is, um, like, it's about Hagrid and like, despite his anger towards the Dursleys for, like, not telling Harry, I think that he was actually the best person to explain everything to Harry because he just has so much, like, tact and empathy in the way that he tells Harry these things. And I don't know that there's, like, another adult in the wizarding world, aside from maybe Molly Weasley, who could have done a good enough job at that. Mm-hmm. But, like, obviously at this point, Molly wouldn't have been able to do that. No. So. No. <laughs> But, like, there's no one else. Like, who else do you think, like... Dumbledore wouldn't have been able to do it. Maybe Lupin again. Maybe Lupin again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we talked about Lupin before. Yeah. Yeah. My other thing about Hagrid is just, like, he's just physically this, like, giant manly man with a huge beard who performs, like, physical masculine, like stereotypes but he is like so loving and caring yeah <laughs> like he's like got this like giant handkerchief and he's like all choked up when he's like telling Lillian James's like story of how they died yeah. and I just think it's awesome how he's allowed he's allowed to be this like emotional person and yeah um Taylor who's not here tonight but will be in fe- like future podcast episodes um Taylor was saying that Hagrid is almost like a guidance counselor. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought that was like perfect. I was like, it's so true. He's literally the school's guidance counselor. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and then my last thing that someone on the internet pointed out is more of a fun fact, but I kind of liked it. It's that um, Harry and Voldemort, both of their wands have um, Phoenix feather cores. From and the that's, same bird. Yes. Yes. Um, but it's, they both come back from the dead, <laughs> which like the phoenix rises from, from the, the dead. Yeah, yeah, so I thought that's really cool. <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> we are going to close off our podcast with the ordinary wizarding levels, where we answer a few quick questions. So we just have these like couple questions to go through. Yeah. Um, the first one is, how do Muggleborns find Diagon Alley? <laughs> and we were kind of talking about this earlier. <laughs> like, I was going to say, maybe like they get a map or some, like, instructional or just someone. I mean, like, with Tom Riddle, which he wasn't fully Muggleborn, but he grew up in, like, an orphanage, right? He grew up in an orphanage, but then so, Dumbledore took him. Yeah, so Dumbledore, orphanage. like, yeah. No, Dumbledore goes and meets him at the orphanage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So... And he explains everything to him. So maybe something similar happens with Muggleborns. Yeah. Like, like someone from the school goes and explains it, and then maybe they have like a Muggleborn like day where they all go to town. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you guys show up at this gross little pub <laughs> with your parents, um, who are all skeptical about whether this is real or not. <laughs> yeah, and you just go through this little back door. Is there an exchange rate between Muggle money and Wizard money? <laughs> And if so, what would it be? I don't know. Like, because it goes back to, like, the Muggleborns, right? Like, how do they pay for anything? Yeah. Like, how do you just show up at this weird wizard town thing and buy your kid, like, an owl and, like, a wand and all this other crap if you don't have any wizard money? Are you Googling it? Yes. (laughs) That's funny. All right. I would just love for J.K. Rowling to put, like, a new book out that just has, like, all of, like, the information from her tweets. There is an exchange rate. It says that Rowling explained on Twitter that non-wizarding folk could go to Gringotts and they would change muggle money to wizard money. Okay. Okay, but that doesn't say what it is. I guess it just depends on the currency as well. Yeah. Like, Canadian dollar would be different than the pound, but they're in, in England, so it would be the pound anyway. Would be. I also FYI, like it just, just a random thing. It really pisses me off that there's no Canadian wizarding school. Like as if we're going to Ilvermorny. Sorry. <laughs> no. Yeah, we're going somewhere like in the Muskokas. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, 
kid? Yeah, we're going or to Muskoka's. It's, or it's no. like out in BC on a it, mountain. Like, yeah, fuck, fuck yeah, you. we're not going yeah. to the fucking states. Or or in the Maritimes, like BC or the Maritimes. Or Muskoka. Or Muskoka. But I just love Muskoka. You so just love like, yeah. yeah, you're, you're very biased. <laughs> just like it's in Muskoka. That's it. Done. Or like, what if it was in like the Northwest Territories? Like that would be dope. There would be seals. I love seals. <gasps> Narwhals. Right? Like, I really like how them. cool would that be? That would be really like, cool. Just like a castle in, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and we wouldn't need electricity. I yeah, like how I say this has lift like we're going. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm going there right now. Like, we should now. just write our own wizard school. Like, do people ever have to travel to other wand makers to get their wands? Because if none of Oliver, all, like, if none of Ollivander's wands choose you, what the fuck do you do? You don't get a wand. Yeah. What do you mean you don't get a wand? Like, well, like, you don't get a wand, you don't get a wand from Ollivander. Yeah. Like, you'd have to go somewhere else. That being said, would we have to go, like, is so Di- is Diagon Alley the only wizarding alley in the UK? I don't know. Yeah, like... like I know have, there are other wand makers. There so are I guess, like, wand makers. So if all of the hundreds of wands that, like, Ollivander has made can't choose you, then I guess you go to another one. That just seems, like, so stressful. Like, yeah. You're, like, a muggle-born kid. You're and, like, like, you're like uh, oh, my God. They don't, <laughs> chose, they don't choose me. I've, I've tried hundreds of wands, and none of them have chosen broke me. everything. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because certain wands are good at certain things, or for certain personality types, does that mean you are destined to do these things? does the wand know things about you that you don't know about yourself? Because, like, you know how, like, it's, like, this type of core or, yeah. like, you know when, when we chose our wands on Pottermore? Yeah. It, like, tells you about, like, yeah. the type of personality and stuff. Yeah. Does the wand know things? It must. It, like, says, it says the wand does. Like, the wand. Yeah. If the wand is choosing you, then the wand. Yeah. I feel like this goes into, like, tarot card energy. Yeah. And, like, just, like, the energy that's around us and, like, what we attract. Yeah. And repel. Well, I think that's all we got. Yeah. High five. (laughs) We done the thing. We did it. We did good. Well, that's all we have for you this time. Thanks to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow us on Tumblr at cauldroncakesandwine.tumblr.com and on Instagram at cauldroncakesandwine. Also follow us on Twitter at ccandwine. Our Twitter game is weak, but we promise if you tweet us, we will tweet you back. And of course, be sure to like, subscribe, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you're listening to this podcast. Thanks for listening.